Welcome to Goldie's Hot Sheet Audio Extra. This week, we're talking to Judy Harrell of Harrell's Ice Cream in Northampton, Mass., and online at harrells.com. Here's Judy. We were the originators of the gourmet ice cream trade. The whole non-dairy thing, we Not were yet. very ahead of the curve on that. We got our trademark for Nomu, our federal trademark, in uh, 1985. Started making non-dairy ice cream. Nobody else was doing it except to a foodie. You know, now it's incredibly popular. But then we started actually baking all of our Nomu baked goods and, and our regular baked goods in 93. We sold them for years in years and now suddenly it's like oh you guys still know the cookies <laughs> harold's is such a popular ice cream spot and you've been around for so long well steve started steve's ice cream in 1973 in somerville near boston uh in cambridge in the tufts area and um he innovated the theory of ice cream at the time all you could really get was vanilla chocolate strawberry maybe butter pecan and maple walnut and maybe chocolate chip but what he had done was he started something called the smushin which is where you could take popular cookies and candies and on a laminated pad smush in or mix in actually he called it the mix in back then mix in popular cookies and candies into ice cream to customize it. He also uh, innovatively tinkered with a commercial ice cream making machine, a White Mountain Freezer, and lowered the speed that the dasher, which is that auger-shaped item, churns the ice cream. So it was slower. So it emulated what a hand crank would do. So it it made the ice cream much more rich and creamy and became more artisan. And then you can sort of do any kind of flavoring you wanted. And up until that time, commercially, nothing like that was available. Kind of brought it back from the past. And Steve kind of burned himself out of the original Steve's from working too hard, sold Steve's. And then by the time 1980 rolled around, he realized he knew too much about the ice cream business and enjoyed it too much to stay out of it. And we opened Harold's Ice Cream, and that was in Northampton, Massachusetts. And there we couldn't use Smithson anymore because we had sold that trademark, so we called it the Smushin. But the principles were the same, and we kept our recipes, and we started making more and more of them. By, I would say, 1983-84, we started to realize that there was this void in the marketplace where there was this huge population of people that were either lactose intolerant or had a sensitivity to dairy. And we decided to make an ice cream or a frozen dessert without dairy in it. And we called it No Moo. I actually remember what happened. We were sitting in the office and we were thinking up names for this product. And, you know, somebody, one of us came up with Moolith and the other one said, oh, no, no, no Moolith. The first one went, no, moo, no, moo. And then it was like <laughs> that eureka moment, no, moo. You know? And um, we've been making it since the mid-80s. 1985 is the first time we started serving it. Currently, it's made with almond milk. Originally, back in the 80s, almond milk wasn't available. Um, neither was coconut milk in the same way that it is now. So what was readily available back then was soy. And we originally made it with soy milk and soy milk bases. And the problem with soy is 
kind of bitter, and it, it it's harder to cover up. <laughs> so the flavors have to be incredibly strong in order to cover up. Like you couldn't have like a vanilla back then, no, or a plain vanilla. It had to have some other kind of vanilla aspect to it in order to cover up that, you know, soy flavor. But as time went on through the 90s and the 2000s, other kinds of non-dairy sort of milk substitutes out almond milk, coconut milk. Now the new thing is cashew milk. So um, as time evolves, it's a great thing. You also have had vegan bakery products for a long time, even though you're mainly ice cream and Nomu. Not just vegan. Back in the late 80s and early 90s, up till let's say 1993, we made ice cream sandwiches. And because we had the Nomu frozen dessert, we would purchase cookies that had no dairy in them to make the ice cream sandwiches for people that couldn't eat dairy. So way back then, we used Hydrox, and we made cookies and cream, both Nomu and in regular ice cream with Hydrox. And that's kind of still out there today. Almost every ice cream company makes some rendition of cookies and cream. By 1993, we realized there was a demand for these. We were baking our own baked goods for the store. We baked cookies and tea cakes and cupcakes and you know, other things. And we had renditions of recipes that would both be regular dairy, dairy-free, which was the no-no. But we also had some vegan, some dairy-free, but not vegan, if they contained egg. And we also had some gluten-free back then, which we still have. Like we have a chocolate walnut cookie, which is not only vegan, it's gluten-free. So we were doing that in the mid-90s. So we were way ahead of the curve on this whole special diet allergen thing and continued to do that and sell them in the store in our baker's case, which was ridiculously small. And we would rotate them. So we would always have a selection of one or two out at a time. So if you came into the store and your group, most people had regular dairy ice cream, but you had a, let's say, a, a milk you know, reaction. Um, you could get a Nomu, but you could also get a Nomu cookie, or you could get a Nomu tea cake, or you could get a Nomu gluten-free cookie, or, you know, a piece of pie, or cookie dough pie that was, you know, dairy-free. You had a few options to choose from. You also have no sugar-added ice cream for people that, you know, are diabetic and can't eat sugars, especially out in Northampton. There's a very large community of different kinds of people that eat different kinds of things and um, very, very health conscious, very, a lot of allergies or sensitivities seem to be in this area. Don't know why. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's such a large college community. So we attract a lot of people into this area. There are five colleges around us. There's UMass, Amherst, um, Amherst College, Hampshire College, Smith College, and Mount Holyoke College, all within a six-mile radius. So I think that's the reason we get such a diverse food population. It's still, it's kind of fun. You know? it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to sort of create these recipes for people and 
So everybody has something to choose from. We buy very local dairy. This is things people really don't know about dairy, the non-GMO. Um, yeah. And if you're a local farmer and it snows, <laughs> it's really hard for you to grass feed. So um, most of them truck in feed. Even the co-op locally says, look, because they truck in feed, even if the company says, you know, most of our stuff is GMO-free, that's great. How much of it is not? And right, so they right. can't guarantee that it's all GMO-free. So even right. on our jars of hot fudge that you can get in Whole Foods by you, you know, on the label, it says that our product tests GMO-free. But the cows that produce our dairy may consume GMO because we have no idea. We can't, we can't guarantee it. And until we can guarantee it, there's nothing we can do. And I spoke with both uh, GMO America. I've been working with Jesse the Leo to try to get sort of either Organic Valley or one of those other larger milk distributors to come out here, but not just, you know, not just to go into Whole Foods or into the grocery store, but to be able to be a reasonable cost for manufacturers. And the difference is cost prohibitive at this point. If if I buy Horizon or if I buy Organic Valley Cream, let's say, instead of paying $4 a half gallon, I'm spending double that. I'm spending actually $8.60. And the price changes every Friday, like clockwork. They reevaluate dairy prices every Friday. And 90% of, well, not 90, I think anymore because of the NOMU, but a good you know, 80% of our business is dairy. So Definitely. every single week we have a different price structure. They're always higher in the winter. There's always a demand change. So, for example, in the summer, there's not enough dairy up in Vermont for Cabot to make its butter. They just simply don't have enough dairy. So they come down to New Jersey and they start buying some dairy just over the border of New York. And they bring it over to either Agrimart or Hood or whoever is in that Springfield area where they can do some dairy manufacturing. And they manufacture their butters there. But they're in the same boat. They can't claim GMO-free either because of the same reason. I think there are two dairies in New England, our end of New England, that are truly GMO-free. One of them is Side Hill Farm, and it's because they have a specific method of growing grass inside. They have an indoor grassing, but all of what they do is yogurt. They don't do any you know, real dairy that doesn't have the enzyme. So they could sell to a cheese manufacturer, but... Once that enzyme goes in, we can't use it. And um, the other one is High Lawn Farm. The problem with High Lawn is that they've been using the same grain seed since 1919. So their grain seed seeds are prior to any GMOs that came into effect 50 years ago. But the problem there is they're very small dairy, and they don't want to go to the expense of going to verified non-GMO. It's a, it's a sticky wicket. I mean, we could buy from them, which we'd love to do. Their prices are great, but they won't go for the verification. And I can't send their stuff for the verification. They have to do it. So they're the only two. They're the only two. You are kosher certified as well. We are. It's new to us now again here. But years ago, some of our other locations were kosher certified. But we were never kosher certified in Northampton because we manufactured in the store, which is how we did it at the original Steve's as well. So you could actually see the ice cream sort of being made in front of you. And that's been our concept for over 36 years as Harold's goes. And 
with that and with our, you know, our lease, we summarize them on Saturday than any other day of the week. To be open on Friday night, sundown to Saturday night, sundown is the Sabbath. So you can't be kosher certified and be open on the Sabbath. It's kind of, you know, not acceptable to do that. So knowing that we couldn't close the store, we really couldn't get the certification, even though all of our ingredients were kosher. When we decided to renovate again, we made the decision to do that late to 2011, early 2012, and started making the plans. We also put into those plans the the idea to um, begin, you know, looking for kosher certification. And during that same year, well, during last year and the year before, so starting 2013, actually into 14, there is a new symbol. It's called a hexer that a local Chabad rabbi has designed and is working with uh, called Pioneer Kosher. We're in the Pioneer Valley. That's where Northampton is. And what um, Rabbi Tuvia Helfen put together is a Pioneer Kosher hexer. And we now have that symbol on all of our products. If it's a dairy product, it's Pioneer Kosher Dairy. And if it's a non-dairy product, it's Pioneer Kosher DE, which means it's part of but made in dairy equipment. It depends on how strict you are. But basically, it's a dairy-free item and a very well-sanitized dairy piece of equipment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but allergen-wise, very, very low. Uh, we test them regularly. We make sure that there's basically no remnant of milkstone left, which is what people who have dairy allergies have a problem with. Generally, it's milkstone. Over 300 flavors, Judy? Um, to date, we have over 370. Last year at this time, we had about 350. And the goal was to have 366. So you could have a different flavor every day of the year, including on a leap year, and never duplicate one. <laughs> that was our goal. <laughs> and we reached our goal mid-year last year. And um, But we still have more flavors coming all the time. The only time we discontinue a flavor is if we can't source an ingredient anymore. And that's very rare. Usually we can source something. As far as the baked goods go, we'll be able to display all of our baked goods at one time. (laughs) It just sounds sort of, you know, little, but it's a big thing for us. And plus, we're going to be able to expand on those. So we're having a wonderful time, you know, making new recipes, playing with our food, having People come out and taste them and tell us what they think. Coming up into the holidays, people can order your products online on your website. H-E-R-R-E-L-L-S.com. You can order the hostage um, and we'll ship it right to you. If you want uh, cookies or ice cream, if you want ice cream, there's a form to fill out, which will come directly to us and we'll get in touch with you either via email or uh, by phone to give you a quote because it's all based on weight. And with cookies, it's basically the same thing. If you give us a call, we'll be happy to ship you cookies or baked goods as long as they're not the refrigerated variety. So certain pies need to be refrigerated, custards and stuff, and like cheesecake, things like that have to be refrigerated. So those we don't ship. But if it's, you know, an apple pie or if it's cookies or tea cakes or cookie dough pie or brookie pie, we'll be happy to ship you pies and cookies. Not a problem at all.
Right now, we're just shipping within the U.S. With ice cream, it's tough to get it overseas within 48 hours, we found. <laughs> a little melted. We made it. We made it to England once, but we it was really, it, it took a lot of, you know, effort and stress. So we pretty much stick with the continental U.S., actually. We're not shipping right now to Hawaii or Alaska either. You have some really interesting holiday flavors that you were telling me about, yeah. Christmas flavors and Thanksgiving and ethnic flavors. My favorite savory flavor. You know, you can't have just sweet ice cream. You have to have something savory. And my favorite is called Thanksgiving. And we're going to be making it shortly because it's a November flavor. And the base of the ice cream is sage flavored. So it's sage with pecans and cranberries. Kind of like tastes like stuffing. <laughs> it's sweet yeah. stuffing, if you will. And it's it's very, very tasting. It sounds more bizarre than it tastes. But we also have things like fig honey walnut and we have uh halava, which is a sesame paste candy kind of flavor. It's actually quite good. We have sugar plum for Christmas time. We also have peppermint stick at Christmas time. Moroccan mint tea ice cream and we have baklava ice cream and we have hearts and flowers ice cream which is lavender and rose flavored ice cream we start with holidays but then we go into regions for example we have a vietnamese coffee ice cream which is absolutely delicious but we also have um, a lemongrass coconut ice cream so we have a bunch of asian flavors and indian flavors we have a banana curry ice cream so we, we really do try to you know look at the world and figure how can we relate to these geographic areas of the world in the sweet ice cream form. (laughs) And it doesn't have to necessarily be in the dairy form. It could be in the dairy-free form. Some of the ones like uh, when we do during Passover, we make chabroset ice cream. And we make that in both the dairy and the non-dairy. That uh, is basically Manischewitz wine or Manischewitz grape juice and apples and honey and walnuts and cinnamon mixed together. And it's got a very unique flavor. And what's interesting is there's two kinds of chabroset. There's one that is what's called Ashkenazi and the other is Sephardic. So the one that's got the apricots and the dates in it is the Sephardic version. And that's from sort of the Middle East. And then there's the Eastern European, which is the Ashkenazi. One's more like a paste and one's more like a stew. So it's, the, it's called the same thing, but it has a different flavor profile. Judy, now tell me if this is so. I'm thinking that you must have a sort of cult following. A cult following? I would say a gourmet cult following. (laughs) Yeah, we do have people that actually follow us around. Or we'll get calls from folks that, you know, have known us for, you know, since the original Steve's or since the beginning of Harold's and are getting married or, you know, in midlife and having a, you know, 50th birthday party or, and they'll call and they'll say, you know, can you ship us a couple of tubs of ice cream for our event? You know, because, you know, we miss you so much and we're on the West Coast now. And we do that. We're happy to do that. We think it's kind of a great thing that people remember 
and we've had lots of people meet at Harold's or that had their first date at Harold's and um, have gotten married. We've had employees that have met at Harold's that have gotten married. I just recently hired my fourth generation scooper. I hired the granddaughter, somebody that worked at the original Steve in 1973, who's now working for us at Harold's. People keep in touch. <laughs> it's gratifying and fun, and we like it that way. Definitely, yes, there is definitely a following. 